the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Have you ever experienced a deep longing that you tried really hard to manifest, but it just never happened? In this day and age in which many of us are vision boarding and affirming our little hind ends off, trying to manifest these longings, we tend to judge ourselves for our inability to come home to these seeming soul desires. But understanding a soul desire and distinguishing it from all the other things that can mimic soul desire is an inner and heroic journey. If, for example, we can start the sentence with, I've always wanted to, That desire could be a soul desire, or it could be a desire that comes from the need to avoid some pain or escape some seemingly more difficult reality or to bargain with the so-called fates. So how do we go about the process of manifesting soul desire if we aren't even sure what soul desire is? That's what we're going to be talking about today. You all know, if you've been listening, that I have a book coming out in September, September the 30th actually of this year. And the name of the book is The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can. And we're going to be just talking about a chapter of that book in which I discuss the concept of desire and how other things can look like desire. So when desire comes up, it feels like this intense longing. I mean, you know, some, some things that you want, like, you know, you want to go read the newspaper, you want a cup of coffee, yeah, those can be foregone. You don't really necessarily have to have those, but sometimes a longing just grabs hold of you, and it feels as if you just have to have it. And we've called those soul longings, but are they? Are they really soul longings? And how can we know that it's a soul longing if we aren't really even sure what the soul is or who that is? So in discovering the soul longings, of course, we're going to have to make a journey to the soul. We're going to have to decide what is soul and what isn't. Now, for our discussion today, I want to say that I might use the word ego as I'm talking, but it's only for lack of a better word. That word has been thrown around, stomped on, thrown up in the air, and dropped again several so many times that it's difficult for us to discern its meaning. And so, I I prefer to not use the word ego, and but sometimes it slips in. So if you hear me using it. Um, it's just a slip-up. But ego, in its essence, is the liaison between self and other, between the world and other, between an authentic self and other. It is not something we need to get rid of. It's not something we need to say it is bad and should be uh, gone or pushed away or repressed or whatever. It's a part of us that liaisons between inner and outer. And the point is for us to be able to discern with the ego 
what needs to come out, what needs to be expressed, and what from the outside needs to be allowed in. It's more or less a gatekeeper. So we need our ego, and in fact, um, mental health theories include the theory that people who have a very weak ego could very possibly be those who are set up for a psychosis later in life or even earlier in life. Um, and, and, and the point of that is that the e- if the ego can't discern what's inner and what's outer, then hallucinations and delusions can become the order of the day. So the ego is an essential component of who we are. Uh, but who we are is very often very different from who we present as. So that is what I'm going to call for our show today and have called for other shows, the identity. And identity is a mask and costume that we put on that uh, informs the world of who we are. Whether that's who we really are or not, it does inform the world of who we really are. So you may be able to see this really clearly if you're having a sad day but you put on a happy face. Well, you know that that's a mask and costume. If you get into a habit of putting on a happy face, even though for a long time you're really not a happy person, now it's become an identity. And so the identity is fairly much habituated into our behaviors, and we act out of it uh, almost as impulse so that it becomes the, the way we respond to life. And that's because it, we, we put it on really early in life, and, and we've talked about this before, the idea that this identity is something we put on so early in life that most of us can't even remember it. And that's because it happened pre-verbally. It happened before we had words to describe it. It happened before anybody used words to tell us who to be because we were responding to the body language and the paraverbal uh, communications that happened between us and other people, the facial expressions, the subtle nuances of meaning that come across a person's face just so slightly and then go away. Um, I saw somebody the other day, a child that uh, I was talking to was suddenly very frightened about something that somebody did but she also knew that fear was not acceptable in that particular arena. So she felt the fear, and you could see it splash onto her face, and then, boom, it was gone just that fast. You had to be really paying attention to get it. Um, and so we have that ability to sort of, you know, squash our emotions, put it away. Nope, can't feel that. Go away. Uh, so and in the process of doing that, we can begin over time to develop an identity. The identity could be several of, uh, of the different masks and costumes we've talked about, and and I'd like to tell you, if you want to know more specifically about those masks, you can go to my book, Restoring My Soul, or I've got a blog on psychology today called Tra- Traversing the Inner Terrain. You can also find it there. You just go to their blog section and look up either Andrea Matthews or go under the personality section and look for the title, Traversing the Inner Terrain. I've written a lot of uh, about those identities and sort of how we can begin to get out of them there on that blog. But So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about that today. What I want to talk about is how these identities can come up with desires that aren't really soul desires, but look and feel as if they are. And that can be very confusing to us. And what manifestation is all about is its soul manifestation. We can work on something and really even make it happen, but if it's not happening from true soul desire, the soul didn't do it. Okay? If it's happening from true soul desire, the soul did it. And that's, that's how clear it is. It's very simple, simple to see it that way, but harder to define when it comes to our internal, um, the, the way we walk inside of ourselves. So uh, let's look at some of the things that a, ma- that a mask and co- costume can present as desire. For example, 
if I've got the runaway mask and costume, my job in life, so to speak, my knee-jerk reaction to everything that happens is to run away. If you show me an emotion I'm uncomfortable with, I'm going to run. I might even run by saying, you know, get over it. You just get over it. Deal with it. I don't want to hear about it. Deal with it. So I'm saying, you take that away from me. I'm not dealing with that. Or I might do the same thing with my own emotions. I might literally move to Ethiopia or Greece or, you know, someplace far, far away so that I'm not really associated with anybody that reminds me of my upbringing, of which I probably have a great deal of shame. I might be feeling very shameful about my childhood. I might be feeling very shameful about the, my, the family of origin. They may have come from poverty. There may have been a lot of maybe alcoholism that was embarrassing to me and my peers. Uh, there could be other causes for me to be ashamed, or so I think. Uh, but the bottom line is I feel like my, my chief um, response to all of that is just get away from it. Just get away from it. And I feel like I should get away from it. And that's a great survival technique, and it works because it keeps us alive. However, eventually, it, it becomes an identity that's almost caricature-like in that it hardens, and it's hard for us to discern who we really are separate from that identity. So when life comes along and we're hit with this enormous desire, we don't know where it comes from. Does it come from the soul or does it come from the identity? We don't know that. So if I've got a desire, for example, to become the CEO of this mega conglomerate and I'm going to make big bucks and I'm going to you know, have this great power and prestige and I won't ever have to associate myself again with anything that even smacks of poverty, that m- desire might be coming from my identity that says I've got to get so far away from that thing that I'm ashamed of, that I must have this other thing. I must have this. I must become the CEO, or I just can't stand it. I've got to become that. And so we think that that's coming from the soul. But is it? And the only way we're going to know is to do a soul search. And we'll talk about that at some point in the show as well. So I might be running from my, po- my background of poverty by becoming very powerful, able to accomplish anything I desire, not let anybody or anybody's behavior get in my way or embarrass me, I can just get away from it. I can be up, uh, live up in the upper echelons of life in my little ivory tower and nobody can ever disturb me again. And that way I don't have to uh, associate with that. But, of course, the more I do that and if I am able to accomplish that, which very often we are able to accomplish the, the desires of the identity, if I'm able to accomplish it, I may find it kind of dry. That might be the presentation of a soul desire. That dryness might be the soul's desire for moisture, for something of more passion, for more life energy, for something besides running. So you see, we can begin to process this as we experiment with life. I don't think there are any mistakes. I think that everything leads us back to the soul. And ultimately, we're all going to be little souls walking around here on planet Earth. But that's my belief. You may not choose to believe that. But in the meantime, it's helpful to be able to look at how we're presenting to the world and what that, what that desire looks like to us. Another thing that can present as soul desire is poor self-esteem. I might believe myself to be less than in a lot of different arenas. So my soul, what presents as a soul desire or my deep longing might be to have great prestige and power, 
Now, we talked about the same thing with the CEO, but the CEO also has money. You can have prestige and power without money. Yes, you can. Um, <laughs> I see it a lot I mean, in the nonprofit world. There's a lot of it's the interesting between the nonprofit, the interesting feature between nonprofit leaders and 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 uh, for-profit leaders very often is the distinction between money and power. Um, very often you see money and power operative in in the identities of those who are at the upper echelons of a corporation that's a for-profit corporation. But in the upper echelons of the not-for-profit corporation, you see people really needing a lot of power. Now, that's not the case in every case. I've certainly worked with and for, uh, for pro- not-for-profit organizations where the leaders were very authentic, and I've also worked for for-profit organizations where the same was true. But I think we can see uh, that those two things would be operative. You're not going to get a lot of money if you're interested in increasing your self-esteem at the not-for-profit level, but you might get a lot of power and a lot of prestige and a lot of sense of self-worth, it seems like. And oftentimes we've perpetuated that belief that our self-worth comes from the external associations we make. So I've been to conferences and listened to educators talk about giving our children self-esteem. And my response to that is always, you can't give a child self-esteem. You can give the child a mirror so that they can see themselves clearly in your eyes. But you can't give them self-esteem. That's an inside job. And regardless of how small or young our children are, we don't give them self-esteem. We might give them an environment that's conducive to self-esteem, but they have to, they have to do the work of, of esteeming themselves. And hopefully what they'll be esteeming is the self, the authentic self, and not an identity. And that's another problem with self-esteem is that we tend to measure ourselves. Once we have identified in some capacity, we tend to measure ourselves by how well we're doing that job. So, for example, if I've identified as a scapegoat, then I might measure my self-esteem by how many ways I can sacrifice myself for other people. I might measure my self-esteem by how much responsibility for other people's choices I make. And if I'm not doing that, I feel a great enormous guilt, and the guilt tells me that I'm doing it wrong, ergo, my self-esteem decreases. So you can see how an identity could make a huge difference here. And uh, so my self-esteem might be all wrapped up in that identity, and I might think that that identity is who I am, and that is what I'm supposed to esteem. But in fact, that's not true at all. So we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. Stay tuned for more about the law of attraction and soul desire. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. Think of the world. 
50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. And today we've been talking about soul desire, what it is and what it isn't. And that plugs us into the law of attraction um, because what we've been taught, our current understanding of the law of attraction, which in the book, the law of attraction, the soul's desire, uh, the soul's answer to why it isn't working and how it can, um, I talk quite a bit about this whole idea of our current understanding of the law of attraction. We've come to this understanding based on literature that was presented to us back in the 90s and early this early part of the century in which we were taught that we could have what we wanted and all we had to do was think about it and affirm it and believe it and it would come to us and we've tried that and it hasn't worked for everyone and so now we're having to reassess what that law really means and in the book the law of attraction the soul's answer to why it isn't working and how it can i talk about a whole revision of that law the law being revised entirely to mean something very different from what we thought it was but very much more enriching and uh, very much more empowering than that other understanding of the law of attraction ever was. So the book does not debunk the law at all, but it does revise it completely. So you can order that book, uh, pre-order that book right now on Amazon.com, and uh, uh, I would encourage you to do that because if you're struggling with the law of attraction, this book is for you. And we've been talking previous to now, the previous segment, we talked about how it is that our identities can sometimes create longings inside of us that feel like a soul desire, the soul desire that says, I must have this thing. It must happen. And so 
we said that needing to look good or getting away the runaway identity might bring us to a place where we we feel that we have to get power, prestige, and money to get far enough away. We also said that poor self-esteem can sometimes present us with seemingly soul desires, actually longings of the identity, which say, I've got to have this thing so that I can feel good about me. And uh, what it is, is is sort of compensating for low self-esteem. And that brings us to the whole idea of compensation. Sometimes what appears to be a soul desire can just be a compensatory desire. In other words, I, I missed something as a child or as an adult, and I think it should be given to me, and this is my way of getting it back. So um, if we have been sort of snatched away from something that we really needed as a child, we, for example, if we lose a parent and we really long for that parent in our childhood and that longing gets sort of repressed back down into the old identity and we say, I must have a parent at some point, well, I'm probably going to be attracted to partners who will parent me in some kind of way. Or I may seek out mentors all the time and sort of lay myself in their hands and ask them to parent me. Sometimes this is how people get involved in cults because they're they're compensating for some loss that they've had and this other person comes along and says, here, I'll parent you, and they go, okay, you can just have my mind. I'll give you my mind and you can do with it whatever you want because I need a parent that badly. So you can see how compensatory desires can get us into trouble but we don't always know that when we feel that sense of longing, that sense of longing that just says, I have to have this, and a, a sense of grief that, um, that comes with it, a feeling that if you don't, you'll just be crushed. And so we get that mixed up with soul desire. Soul desire does not come with any feeling that you'll be crushed if you don't have it. And we're going to talk about the difference between how soul desire feels and how uh, this other kind of longing that comes from an identity feels in just a few minutes. Uh, but so we can know that comp- compensatory desires are also there. And so we can search that desire and ask it, you know, what is it that you want? And ask yourself, what is that about? And if it's coming from something you didn't have and feel that the world should give you or that you, you, you know, that you just really want it really badly, then it might be a compensatory desire. So why isn't it being fulfilled? Well, probably because we're trying to compensate for something that we that we need to learn to adjust to because some losses even though they're devastating some losses can bring us to ourselves at another level than uh any other thing could have loss can be gain if we if we set ourselves free to explore that possibility i've certainly lost people in my own life that it turned out that yes indeed that was something that even though i wouldn't say it needed to happen it sure did set me free um, so we, we, we have these judgments about how life ought to be and how it ought to look and how our relationships should be and how things ought to happen for us. And if they don't, we tend to believe, well, it didn't happen then. I'm going to make it happen later. And maybe you can, but maybe you can't. And maybe if you can't, that's a blessing because it could be that not being able to fulfill that identity desire will put you in touch with a soul desire. That would be a good thing, would it not? So... Compensatory desires are another one. We talked about um, needing to sort of run from things. We talked about poor self-esteem, compensatory desires. We also have this kind of, it's a little bit like a compensatory desire, but it comes with an edge of anger that says the world owes me. I have literally known people who who suffered a loss and felt that uh, because they had suffered that loss, then the world owed them. Um, Perhaps they were raised in an environment where they pretty much got everything they wanted and they thought that 
well, if I get everything I want at home, then that's the way it ought to be with the world, and that's the way it ought to be with me and God or whatever that is for you. So uh, we, we, can, we can say, okay, I should have this. You know, I'm not somebody that gets told no. And that's kind of a, you know, spoiled child look at the sky with your fist up in the air saying, hey, you're supposed to give me what I want. Uh, I'm reminded of that uh, thing in Forrest Gump with Gary Sinise at the top of the uh, sailboat uh, sitting in the crow's nest screaming at God during that storm. You can have me now if you want me because he was so angry that he'd lost his legs in the war. And certainly we can sympathize and empathize even with his anger. But um, at some point you decide to get on with the rest of your life. And eventually, of course, we see in that movie that he did do that. But, But the idea basically is that that's a good metaphor for the idea that we think that we should always have it the way we want it. And sometimes not having it the way we want it is one of the best things that could ever happen to us. But we don't want to look at that. We don't want to see that. We don't want to move through the stages of grief and finally get to acceptance. We want to stay stuck in bargaining. And bargaining says, if I shake my fist long enough, God is going to give me what I want. And, of course, that doesn't always happen. But that shaking of the fist can be very much confused with uh, soul desire. We can say, I'm supposed to have this, and we keep shaking that fist, and of course it doesn't happen. So the other thing is if-only beliefs. We have these beliefs that say, if only I had this, then this. And that, of course, also is a bargain. There's an if and a then there. And bargains, as if you've heard me talk about bargains before, are have to do with our psychology that say, there's an if and a then, if you do that, then I'll do this. Or if I do this, then you'll do that. Or if I do this, then the world will give me that. And if I do that, the world will give me this. And, uh, or vice versa. So uh, we, we make these bargains, and we don't realize we're making them. And they come from some deep, urgent need to get this thing taken care of. And that's based on an if only. If only I had this, my life would be better. If only this had happened, then everything would be okay. If only I hadn't done X, Y, and Z, then that accident wouldn't have happened. If only, if only, if only. And the truth is we don't know. We don't, we don't know what would have happened if only. We're making this up. We're making it up in our heads, and we're telling ourselves things that might have no validity whatsoever. But we keep telling ourselves that because it seems to make us feel a little better. And that's what we're looking for in that moment more than anything else is that little bit of feeling better. Because looking at, in the face, looking in the face of whatever didn't happen that we wanted to happen seems too much for us. So we just don't want to go there. But going there could actually put us in touch with a soul desire, which would get us something much better than the thing that we think that we have to bargain for. When we don't think of it that way, we think, I've got to stay bargaining. I've got to do this. I must stay stuck here in this little booth. Um, bargaining for my life with these little trinkets and hoping the world will one day supply me with everything I need. And it's a fantasy. It never works. And it's not soul desire. Another thing we can get into that it looks similar to that but very different in another way is the sort of hero rescue complex, the idea that um, I'm supposed to change the world. I have literally had people come into my office and say, I am supposed to change the world. How come I can't do it? And that's, that's that hero rescue thing. So I'm supposed to do my affirmations and create my vision boards all about how I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make the world very different. And the world will change because I've impacted it. 
and they come in very often very disappointed that life has not presented them the seeming opportunities that were supposed to come their way so that they could rescue or save the world. How come they're not the Neil Donald Walsh or the, or the John Borisenko or the Marianne Williamson? How come they're not those people? Um, you know, that article in the Psychology Today that I mentioned on another show, I can't remember which issue. It was about four or five months back now. But the name of the article is I Could Have Been a Contender. And it's the old, uh, the old uh, movie with Marlon Brando in it that where he's sitting in the back seat of the taxi and he's talking to his, his friend and he says, I could have been a contender, Joey. Well, that's the kind of idea we have with this hero rescuer thing. It's like we could have had this thing. We could have been somebody. We could have shown the world how it should live and the world would have responded if only we could have gotten out there. But it didn't happen. And now we're like, okay, well, what is supposed to happen? If I'm not supposed to save the world, what am I supposed to do? And when we get to that place, it's what I call an existential crisis. Best crises we can have are existential crises, and they're the ones that say, who am I now? If I'm not the hero or rescuer of the world, who am I now? And when we get to who am I now, then we get closer to soul desire. But that need to rescue the world very often comes from an early identity with the rescuer identity. Perhaps a child was able to save someone or at least was deluded into thinking he, was, he or she was able to save someone when they were little. Perhaps they were the one that was put in charge of taking care of mom or dad when they came home drunk or, or, or were mentally ill or something like that. And they believe with all their heart and mind that they can save the world. Or they've found some noodle of... Uh, of truth, and they've glommed onto that truth, and it changed them, so now they want to go out there and proselytize and bring the whole world to that truth. But the whole world might not be ready for that truth, and those who are probably already found it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we get into that identity, and we, we hold on, and we say, okay, now, where is it? Where is it? I'm supposed to have this. And then we get really disappointed when we don't. But it's based in identity. It's not soul desire. But we're going to be back in just a few minutes to talk about what is soul desire. So stay tuned for that. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. Want to change your life? The New York Open Center can help. We offer hundreds of ongoing classes, workshops, and professional trainings that heal the body, nurture the spirit, and awaken your true potential. Visit opencenter.org to check out our programs in holistic health, self-development, spiritual practices, creative arts, and much more. With our wellness services, bookstore, and cafe, we're an oasis in the heart of the city. And with Open Center Online Learning, you no longer have to be in New York to take classes. Visit opencenter.org today. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about soul desire, what it is and what it isn't. And what we've discovered thus far is that many things can be confused with soul desire, including sort of running away from emotions, poor self-esteem, compensation or compensatory desires, sort of an idea that the world owes us, and if only beliefs and a hero or rescuer identity. So that we... Uh, we developed this identity, as I said early in the first section, about uh, about a way of coping. We develop an identity around a way of coping. So if I'm the person who becomes a caregiver, then I've developed my identity around being the caregiver. And I might decide out of that identity that I'm supposed to be able to now have somebody to take care of me. I never had that as I was growing up, and by golly, I should have it now. And so we go in search of somebody who's going to take care of us. But the very idea that we're supposed to be taken care of is faulty. And so we're liable to get ourselves in really bad, even harmful relationships by doing that. And then we wonder how it is that we didn't manifest our soul's desire. But actually, it wasn't a soul desire at all. It was an identity desire. So we talked about some of that, and uh, we've taken on the way to the world as another one. If I believe that it's my job to be responsible for everyone in the world or at least everyone in my world, then I'm going to take on this enormous obligatory task of really pushing other people or prodding them or counseling them or helping them or some kind of way of getting them to do what they need to do for their lives. And I may, you know, allow people to live with me or or I may, you know, uh, allow people to sort of dominate me in some ways that makes me feel that, okay, I'm helping them out. But in the process, really, I get very tired, and then all I want is just to be alone. And I think that comes from a soul desire, and I just want to go off somewhere to an ashram and contemplate my navel, or I want to, you know, become a nun, or I want to do something that allows me to just be alone, and I can't seem to make that happen because i got a job, and i got to work, and I've got things to take care of in my family, et cetera, et cetera. And so now I feel like... Well, the law of attraction just doesn't work, so I'm just going to toss the whole thing out. But in fact, what's happening is I'm trying to make an identity desire come true. If I didn't feel that I needed to take responsibility for everyone, perhaps I wouldn't need to get away from everyone. So you see how these things work, and I've gone over several of those now, so we're going to not do that anymore. You get the idea. 
in order to get to know soul desire, you have to go to the level of the soul. And here's the thing. Uh, the things that give us peace are true soul desires. But if you have the peace, then you don't want anything else. That's the paradox of soul desires. In fact, a soul desire is something within us that gives us utter peace. And once it gives us peace, then we want to manifest it metaphorically in the world as well. So if, for example, I can, through meditation, go to a deep level of myself and find peace, then what I'm going to want to do is bring that same peace into my world so that I don't tolerate chaos anymore. I don't tolerate the yelling and screaming and hollering of somebody who wants to abuse me. Or I don't tolerate or try to accept or forgive or get over somebody who's really trying to dominate my life so that I get squeezed out of the picture. I don't tolerate those things anymore. Why? Because I've found peace within me, and I want to bring it outside of me. That is soul desire. Soul desire is something deep within you that already is completely peaceful. It's not something you have to strive after. It's not something that you go into the external world to get. It is something that is already inside you. So soul desire is fulfillment at its base. You go inside and you find it. But then, of course, there is a, the, the, the attitude change that comes with that. The, the sort of, um, you change identities. You begin to recognize that, hey, I was this person who needed to rescue the world, or I was this person who felt that um, I was superwoman, or I was this person who was always trying to run away from my emotions and other people's emotions, or I was this bully, or I was this uh, a, a person who just felt lost and alone all the time. I was this person, but now I found something deep within myself, and that feels like who I really am. That resonates deep within me and feels very, very true. Uh, we, we were talking to Colette Baron-Reed last week uh, about um, life's purpose. One of the illusions that we have uh, that is related to our current understanding of the law of attraction is that we have a purpose and we have to find it. And our, our seeming soul desires are trying to carry us to our life's purpose. And when I asked her, it was great. It was her, her response was great. I asked her, how do people find their soul desire? I know she got that question, gets that question a lot in her psychic readings. So I asked her, how do, you, how, do you, how do people get to soul desire? And she said, basically, hell if I know. She didn't say that word. I did. But basically, it was that. I, we don't, how do you get to, I don't know, purpose? What is purpose? Do, do flowers have a purpose? You know, we make this idea up that, oh, that flower is here and it's beautiful for me because I needed to see it. Well, that's a pretty narcissistic view of that flower. Who I don't know why that flower is here, but it sure is beautiful and I'm going to enjoy it while it is. So, you know, this idea of purpose has us tramping after something that looks like a uh, soul desire but maybe based in identity. And that per- the idea of I've got to have a purpose in order to make my life meaningful, it, it's a trek down a road looking for something that's already within us. Your purpose is already within it, in you. And that doesn't mean you've got to go in there digging around to find it. You're here because you're here. <laughs> that's it. That's your purpose, to be here. Be here now. 
be fully here, be fully aware of being here, be present in your being here. That's why you're here. There is nothing else. And when we go looking around for something else, what we're doing is trying very hard to get that if only I had a purpose, then my life would be meaningful. Or that identity that says, my purpose is to rescue the world, and the world is supposed to fall down and do what I ask it to do, and then I will fulfill my purpose. Illusions all. Illusions all. And so we live out this thing, and we say, well, I must be doing it wrong. I can't tell you how many people have come into my office and said to me, Andrea, you're a transpersonal therapist. You're supposed to be able to help me figure out what I'm doing wrong to implement the law of attraction in my life. And, and very often what I hear is, I can't, I can't make it happen. What's wrong with me? How come everybody else can make it happen and I can't make it happen? And I, my response to that one is, everybody else really? Who, who else is making it happen? You know, there are a few people who, who, you know, will tell you, I went after this desire and I got it. But there's a lot of people who aren't operating out of the law of attraction who will tell you the same thing. I went after this desire and I got it. Is it a desire that comes from the identity or is it a soul desire? Well, I don't know. The only person who can answer that question is the person who said it. So, you know, yes, we can look on the surface of things and we can say, oh, these people are making it happen. But... They might be making an identity's desire happen rather than a soul desire happen. And the soul desire is already in us. It's already there. It's already fulfilled. And um, so living within us, being present with ourselves, inside of ourselves, helps us become aware of the authentic self. And from there, and I, I will tell you, authentic self and soul, those are synonymous terms to me. They're not to everyone. They are to me. So I want to make that clear. Um, and you don't have to agree with me. You get to decide what soul and authentic self are for you. But for me, they are the same thing. So when I talk about the authentic self, I'm also talking about the soul and vice versa. So when I say soul desire, I talk, I'm also talking about the authentic self's desires. And the authentic self is very peaceful already. You know, we say, I'm going to go take a vacation on the beach, and when I get there, I'm going to have so much peace. I've been through so much, you know, hell this year. I haven't been through so much this year, and I just got to get away to the beach, and then I'm going to have some peace. And we go to the beach, and we get our peace, and then we drive home, and we go, oh, got to get back to my normal life now. How bad that is. I've got to go back to the chaos. Well, what happened on the beach? Did the beach have some magical power that we got to the beach, and it said, boom, you're peaceful? No, what happened is... We decided to allow ourselves to feel our own peace when we got to the beach. Guess what that means? That means it was always inside of us. We just didn't let ourselves feel it. So we give the external beach the power to make us feel something we already feel if we'll just access it. That is soul desire. The soul's desire is that we live in peace and harmony with ourselves. And anything that gets us there is the fulfillment of the soul desire. So when we say, okay, I've found that inner peace now. I've accessed uh, some inner peace. And, and when, when people come in and say, okay, I've, I've felt that. I know that they're on the path now to being able to really know who they are because they have had what we call in mental health circles an affective response. They've had an emotional response to their own authenticity. They've connected at a deep level with who they truly are. So... Now they're going to be able to compare everything else to that awareness. 
Everything else in life gets compared to that. Oh, this was peaceful. This over here, not so much. And we can be able to say, okay, really, I don't want that in my life anymore because it's really not peaceful. I'm going to bring things into my life that create peace for me. Now we're manifesting soul desire. And that's how we manifest soul desire. So we think we've been taught, all of us have been taught, the same stuff, particularly in the Western world, and that is that the external world uh, is calling us to go out into the world and find our mission. And we're supposed to go out there and show the world something, give the world something, you know, talk the world into something, produce a product the world can use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we're going to be fulfilled. And not until we do that will we be fulfilled. And so we go into our lives thinking, okay, now i got to get out there and i got to make something of myself because then I'll be a real person. Guess what? You're already a real person. You don't have to do anything to become a real person. However, you probably will do something if you are a real person. <laughs> it's a paradox, but it's true. If, you, if you're trying to become something, you're not. But if you are something, you already are that something, and then you will do from that. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that because of our understanding, our current understanding of the law of attraction, we have decided that the external world does have riches for us. It has lots of good things that we can really enjoy. And we should just, you know, put our affirmations out there and have some of that stuff. Why not? I mean, we've been living this good spiritual life, and we've been doing good stuff. And so, you know, we deserve it. Why not? And, yeah, I agree with that. Why not? But if that is manifesting an identity's desire, it's not soul desire. And the law of attraction is all about soul desire, not just manifesting, you know, something that comes from your identity. And we have to know the difference. And that's an inner journey, and it's a heroic journey. It's a journey that takes us deep within ourselves to find the peace that is already there. And we're going to be back in just a few minutes to talk just a little bit more about how that works in terms of the real law of attraction, not our current understanding of it. Stay tuned. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. The Institute of Noetic Sciences has been a pioneer and leading authority in the field of consciousness and healing for 38 years. We invite you to discover how you can transform your health or healing practice with ION's cutting-edge research into mind-body medicine and healing. For a limited time, you can receive valuable thank-you gifts when you support the Institute of Noetic Sciences research and educational programs. Just click the banner on this page to discover how consciousness research is transforming healthcare. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Mom! My tooth fell out! The coach says I can play shortstop! I get to be 
a deciduous tree. You live for the first in your child's life. But how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Well, we've reached our final segment now. So what I want to talk about is the law of attraction in in particular. We've talked about soul desire and all the ways that identity desires can mimic soul desire so that it becomes confusing to us what this longing really is all about. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're tuning in just now, to go back and listen to the earlier segments to, to learn more about that. But for now, I want to talk about the law of attraction because here's the thing. What if the law of attraction isn't working because the soul doesn't work that way? What if the soul works in another whole way than what we thought the law of attraction was telling us? Because what we thought the law of attraction was telling us was, we, you know, we're allowed to have these good things out there in the world, and we can do affirmations and change our thinking, change our thinking, and then we'll just have it. But very often what changing your thinking in a very deliberate and conscious fashion means is repressing a lot of thinking you don't want to think about. And in the process, what happens is we just amass this volume of thoughts into the unconscious that are going to erupt later and we're still going to have to deal with them. So trying to change our thoughts might not be the best way to go about this. It might be better to try to get in touch with the deeper levels of ourselves, to try to see if, in fact, the Law of Attraction might be something different. And in the book, The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, I describe uh, a, a flow that we can get into. It's not about effort. It's an effortless flow. It's not about striving after external things. It's not about constantly questioning ourselves as to whether or not we're good enough to attain our soul's desire. It's not about affirmations and vision boards, although, you know, those can be good to help us understand ourselves. They're not good to try to make us manifest something, but they can help us understand ourselves better if we use them that way. Um, but they, the, soul, the, the law of attraction really is this. The law of attraction is this, that we are attracted to and by all things and people and places and events that will bring us ever closer to who we really are. That's what we're attracting. We are attracting those things, people, places, and events that will bring us into deeper awareness of who we are. 
And we do that lifetime after lifetime, reincarnation after reincarnation, getting closer every time to who we really are as a soul. And the more we do that, the more we process through the life events that come to us, the more we actually practice getting in touch with that peaceful core of who we are, the closer we are to soul. And the more we get, the closer we are to soul, the more the body incorporates soul and becomes healthy and ageless. And, you know, one day I have a theory that we'll all live here in body and soul simultaneously. Right now, we're not doing that. And one of the reasons we're not doing that is because we're striving for the external. We're, we're trying to get the external to make the internal better. I'll be happy when I have X, Y, and Z. And all that says is, I refuse to be happy until I have X, Y, and Z. But happiness is an inside job. Happiness is peace, and peace is happiness. Peace and joy go hand in hand. The, uh, very often I find myself looking around at nature, uh, even in difficult scenarios, I find myself looking at the stillness that I find in nature and sort of just letting myself be with that stillness. And uh, and some people would call that meditation. Call it what you want. It's allowing myself to be present with the stillness that I see in nature. And when I do, I get in touch with that peaceful core of me. And then the things that are happening that are difficult external to me just don't matter. And I get clarity. The clarity that comes says, Okay, I know the next step now. It comes from peace, and that next step comes from peace. So I'm not deciding what I ought to have based on an agenda that I incorporated as a kid into an identity, but rather I'm allowing myself to get in touch with what's true inside me, and it directs the next step. There's a real different approach there, and the law of attraction as we currently understand it doesn't incorporate that. The law of attraction, as we currently understand it, was a good start. It definitely was a good start. Why? Because it told us that we were allowed to have an abundant life, and I fully believe that. But it's not enough, because what it directed us to do was try to drag the external into us so that we could have things instead of being who we are. And that, that was a misdirection. And um, there are many of you out there that might disagree with that. You're certainly welcome to write me call me, tell me about your disagreements, but I think that we've had enough time with the law of attraction as we currently understand it now to come to understand that, in fact, maybe it was, uh, like I said, a good start, but didn't get us exactly to where it was intended to get us. It was intended to push us deeper into ourselves. One of the other things that the current understanding of the law of attraction does is it, uh, or actually people who um, who are standing up for the current understanding of the law of attraction, tell us that a lot of the old sacred texts are um, telling us that the law of attraction as we currently understand it is true. But if you really study those old texts, they're not telling us that at all. They're telling us that we already are divine, that, we, that the authentic self, the soul, is who we really are, and that it is divine, and that only, the only thing that keeps us from recognizing that is our true blindness. That's what the sacred texts are telling us, and all of them are telling us the same thing, including the Western Bible. So, you know, there's a chapter in the book about that as well. It tells us how those texts, what those texts are actually saying, and uh, so you can read that. Another one of the proponents of, uh, of the um, Law of Attraction tells us that the Law of Attraction is the most powerful universal law, and it is not. 
every other universal law works in combination in synchronicity with the law of attraction, uh, in, in orchestral movements with the law of attraction. So there, the law of attraction is not the most powerful law in the world um, or the universe. Uh, the, there are many laws. There's the law of love, the law of duality, the law of projection, uh, uh, the law of, of, of attraction. Those are all, there's just a few of the laws that I discuss in the book that are working in equal measure with the law of attraction, the law of karma, a different understanding entirely of the law of karma than, than we currently hold. And I'm going to talk about that law of karma in the next time when I'm on just by myself. Um, and so we'll discover a little bit more about that. But the law of karma isn't what we think it is. So stay tuned for that one later. But that law is operating in in tune, in harmony, in synchronicity, in, on an orchestral movement with the law of attraction, not in opposition to it. I mean, we say the law of attraction says you get what you, you know, you reap what you sow, but actually we don't always reap what we sow. And if you look around, you don't even have to look very far to know that we don't always reap what we sow. So we say, oh, well, maybe that will come in another life, and there's your karma. Uh, but really... We don't know that. That's something we've made up to make ourselves hold on to the belief that we reap what we sow. And Jesus even said that sometimes the reapers reap what the sower sowed instead of the sower reaping what the sower sowed. And uh, so he talks about that paradigm as well. So we've got some ideas about what the sacred texts tell us that may or may not be true as well. So what I would suggest you do is go online, go to Amazon.com, pre-order the book, get ready to wake up because that book might help you do that. And that's it for today. The wrap. Next week, we are going to be talking to Sarah Abel about authentic relationships. So if you want one of those of your very own, tune in. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.